Welcome to the Social Witnessing Podcast, observing the world from a nice, safe distance. All right, episode 18, Social Witnessing with our new friend, Ben Younghart. What's up, Ben? How are you? Hi. Doing well. Really nice to, to see you guys. I'm happy to be a part of the experience. Yeah, very happy to have you here. So we know you, uh, we got connected to you through Liam, uh, former podcast guest Liam, DJ yes, Liam. And he told us a little bit about the um, Cabin Fever Social Club, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, first, I want to hear a little bit kind of about you. What's your background? Uh, how are you dealing with this situation? What are the last couple of months? What have they been like for you? Give us a little bit of a backstory. Sure, of course. Well, I um, there are many things that I do. I work uh, primarily as a filmmaker, as a writer, a producer, an editor, um, and that takes up uh, one part or one fraction of my life. Um, I also work as a youth worker. I do kind of volunteer work and coaching and mentorship with youth. Um, and and so when a lot of this hit, the, you know, all of my work was, was put to the side and um, a lot of the stuff that I do in terms of writing or working from home kind of became my, my primary focus. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting experience to say the least. I mean, as somebody who is um, self-employed, a surviving artist, a working artist, a lot of my time is spent um, is, is spent at home. I mean, I'm, I feel like I've, my lifestyle to a certain degree is social distancing. And so when right. everyone was, was forced to kind of be within their own little bubbles, um, I had quite a bit of practice um, just of, of what it meant for my own personal time management and, and being kind of accountable for my own time. And, and so to be honest, I mean, there are many things that have changed quite drastically. And there are many things in, in my day to day that have remain quite consistent. So, I mean, obviously the, the, the tricky things have been not being able to see friends and family and, and as what I would consider a pretty, um, yeah, pretty in touch, intuitive empath. I, I definitely feel the weight of the world and the pain and the sadness and the loss and the struggle of all, all the people who've been affected by COVID and people who are dying alone with their families, not being able to see them. And, um, you know, I, I really, I feel that on the day to day. Um, and, and I, I struggle kind of with the idea that for me, I, I am in a, in a relatively comfortable place where um, I am doing my best to, to stay afloat from home. I'm able to pay my rent. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable in my, in my home. But um, yeah, the, the isolation and the, I, the kind of continued resiliency around how do we support each other in ways when we can't necessarily do it face-to-face -face or in person, which is a relatively new concept of, of being virtually supportive or supporting each other in, in these virtual platforms. And, it, and that's how the Cabin Fever Social Club came to be. Right. And before we get into that, how isolated are you? Uh, like, what, what level of isolation are you practicing? Um, well, I, I live with two roommates. Uh, they're a, uh, a couple from Argentina. And so they're within my bubble, 
per se. Um, but beyond that, I'm, I haven't really been seeing anybody else. I do, you know, I go grocery shopping and I, I'm, I, I run errands as need be. But um, I, I would say I've been pretty diligent with my, with my social distancing. From time to time, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe go for a walk with someone and be very, uh, be very aware of, of staying, you know, six to, to eight feet apart from each other. But that's been pretty seldom. So yeah, my, my levels of, of isolation have been, uh, I would say, pretty high. That said, I also consider myself a pretty strong introvert. So it's uh, mm-hmm. as much as I enjoy uh, and, you know, really thrive and on social interaction, um, this space, this kind of personal space of introspection is in many ways my, my, my comfort zone. So it's, yeah. you know, not as much of a struggle as it, it might be for, for others, but um, there are definitely other struggles that kind of arise within that. Yeah, it seems to be a common theme on our podcast uh, with the introvert, introverted thing. Uh, other than my co-host and wife Michelle, <laughs> sure, we sure, had anyone who's called themselves out as an extrovert. Yeah, <laughs> so that's interesting that that's kind of how maybe maybe there are less extroverts than we actually think left in the world. Yeah, well, I I, I have been told, or from my own research, I'm what's considered an extroverted introvert. So. I, I enjoy, you know, I, I enjoy social situations and I enjoy connecting and I enjoy meeting new people and I'm happy to put myself out there and in as many different social settings as possible. But for me, the, the, it's the idea that, um, I recharge my batteries alone where Mm -hmm. after, after an extended amount of time in social settings, I start to, you know, feel feel more drained than energized, and so a true extrovert is somebody who gains their energy in social settings, and and an introvert is somebody who kind of recharges alone. And so, as an extroverted introvert, it, sometimes it can be a bit um, confusing for the people who are close to me to, you know, let them know that I just need to take some time to to ground or center myself and it's not a personal thing it's just this is kind of how I'm able to recharge my batteries yeah that's that's really interesting I think there's so many more people like you than we know because I actually had a friend in the last year like tell our group that I swear he's an extrovert and he came out and he was like I'm really not I need to be away from people I want to recharge he's like this is just my day personality at night I like to be alone so yeah I think it's, it's a misconception that everyone that that's, has that personality is extroverted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing, too, is I think in the time that we're in, a lot of people are being forced to confront their confront themselves in ways that they haven't necessarily had to just with the convenience of the distractions of life. And so now being being forced into these situations where people are realizing like, oh, wow, this isn't as hard as I thought it would be, or this is much more difficult than I thought it would be, or just having that extra time to reflect on what it means to be with yourself for an extended period of time when you don't have a choice. You know, most people would rather kind of comfort themselves with with company. And so when you're not able to do that, you, you really have to come to terms with whether you enjoy your own company or not. And as an artist, 
do you have you found that you're feeling more inspired or less inspired these days? Um, I, I, it's a very interesting situation in that. Well, maybe interesting isn't the word. It's a little bit surreal, to be honest, guys. I mm -hmm. I've been working on a television series, an animated television series, for the past ten years, and I'm just on the brink of of pitching it and selling it and and bringing it to life in a very real way, and the story itself um, is very personal to me and my family. And over time, um, a lot of the things that I was writing in the story started to take place in real life and um, in these very surreal ways. And so I, as I began to kind of write and scale out this story, um, the, the final ending of this, of this series ends in um, a pandemic with a very kind of heated political situation. And so I've spent years doing very deep research into like studying futurist predictions of what um, 10 years in the future would look like. This, was, this would have been 10 years ago. And so spending all of this time researching um, leading futurist predictions of, you know, in 10 years, we'll be dealing with pandemics and we'll be dealing with the ideas of, of um, and again, not to get too deep into a lot of the technical stuff, but um, essentially, it's been very surreal for me to see that all of the stuff that I've been writing, I've been living in this fictitious world of fantasy is all now coming true in reality. And that has been very surreal for me. And does that inspire you or is it just kind of put you on your heels a bit? Um, it's, it's wildly inspiring. It's, um, it's, it's very helpful to have um, the roadmap of reality to help guide the way and 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 in many ways straight like um reality is stranger than fiction and so being able to lean into into that has been very inspiring and invigorating and and so it's in it's encouraging me or it's um motivating me to not only pay very close attention to the news and and be able to follow it for, through all different um, lenses, whether it's um, mainstream media or alternative media, not necessarily just to be um, up to date, but to be able to kind of incorporate as many different, as much of a panoramic perspective as I can to be able to integrate that into my creative um, outlet into this into this television series I've been writing. So that's it's been really helpful, but all, again, also really strange to when you've been living in a creative space for so long that has been um, kind of anchored in fantasy and then it does start to move into the realm of reality. Do you find that that keeps it from being too, too anxiety provoking? Because most people we've talked to aren't watching the news and aren't are trying to kind of take in the minimum amount of information that they have to, to kind of stay up to date. Um, that's a great question. I, it, it is still quite anxiety invoking just because there's, it, there's just so much noise and there are so many conflicting perspectives. And as somebody who does try and exercise a, a particular level of media literacy in knowing this is the news outlet that I'm following. I'm aware who owns it. I'm aware what their political leanings are. 
Um, and so I can track the same story through five different news organizations and see how drastically they're all being covered and reported. And so mm-hmm. that is, it creates a lot of anxiety just, just to feel like um, even if we wanted to stay up to date, even if we wanted to cut through everything, it's, um, it really is, uh, it's, a, it's a real challenge. It's a real struggle. Right, especially because, you know, most governments aren't releasing or we assume they're not releasing all the information. Yes. They're not giving us the full truths of anything. Mm -hmm. And so even if you are fully up to date, quote unquote, you really I mean, how much of the picture do you really have? Exactly. And, you know, details, facts and stories that are confirmed one week are then disproven another week and mm-hmm. and what might seem like information then quickly becomes disinformation or misinformation and 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 even what i found there are a lot of stories where uh, that i've been following where there will be you know a, a third of it is quite accurate and and um the sources are solid but a, but you know a one piece of it isn't or a few pieces aren't and then that whole article is immediately discredited or it's difficult for me to have I've found it difficult to have conversations with uh with people just because their I find like their worldviews become challenged in many ways or just the levels of uncertainty of who and what to trust really comes into play and I think that can be very unsettling for people yeah and I think at this time too I I'm noticing and I don't know if it's 100 true but you know, where we really want facts, there's a lot of emotion involved in reporting. It's almost like storytelling, like you said, like the base might be facts, but then there's this level added on because I think even like everyone's being affected. They're not just objectively reporting on what's going on. Everyone's affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mo- but- most definitely. And it is emotional. It, it is, it, you know, these are people's these are people's family and their grandparents and their uh, and if it is if it isn't them they're they're imagining it as as if it were so anytime there's um, chaos and confusion and death and government control of what you can and can't do and people you know some people then begin to feel like rights and freedoms are being fr- infringed upon and then others feel like it's more important than ever to to move collectively and be in line and a lot of it comes down to who um, who trusts what levels of government, and um, and so I just try and be a, an, as actively aware as I can of all sides, um, but understand just you know I'm I'm constantly being flooded by my friends who are more conspiratorial about these things, and yeah. um, and you know I find it interesting again just to kind of fill that one piece of the puzzle and to say okay well this is this is where a lot of the conspiracies are leaning not necessarily that you know, to take them all obviously with a grain of salt but um, there's been a lot of clashes that I've found between my friends who are a little more skeptical of what the government is putting out and then others who are rallying through pure solidarity and and it's created a pretty considerable rift i found in my community between people who trust what the briefings that are being shared whether it's in canada or the states or globally and then people who think that um all of it is absolutely false and you know there are much greater powers uh global geopolitical 
shifts of power that are happening right now between Canada and the US and Asia and Russia and um, the things that are, I think one thing that people are really talking about is not so much what's being reported as what is not being reported. And I think that's Mm -hmm. most interesting to a lot of people right now. What are the stories that are not getting light that probably should be getting some light? Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, Go go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, is it, I I always wonder if it's a bit different because you're on the East coast. I am. Yep. I'm in Toronto right Mm now. Yeah. And I always feel like being on the West coast, we're, we're a little bit removed from what's happening in the States because I feel like the East coast has such strong ties to the States. Like there's a lot of similarities, but that might just be my perspective. And I wonder if you're even more affected by what's going on in the States because on, on our side of the country, like Seattle and Washington and things like that, they shut down. Early. Right. So early they were doing things that were not in like, were the opposite of what the president was saying and what was happening. But I guess you're very close to New York. So you're still, you would have still gotten that first wave of lockdown happen fast. Yeah, most definitely. I I mean, we're an hour, an hour south of us is Buffalo, New York. So you can, you can see it essentially if I'm standing at the, at the, at the water's edge on Lake Ontario and on a clear day, I can see New York at the other side. Um, I can see Buffalo. And so it, it is. And, and even as you move down Southern Ontario, um, there's right across the bridge from, from Windsor is Detroit. And so it, there's like a real cousin, an American, American Canadian cousin relationship. People cross the border mm-hmm. as a daily activity to go um, outlet shopping and whatnot. And so, yeah, I think a lot, and, and a lot of our, a lot of our, if you're watching cable television or whatever, all the commercials and, and news, it, it's all very American influenced. And so whether you grew up with that influence or you're, you, you can't necessarily, it's difficult to escape it. And, um, yeah. and, and we're very aware of it. At least I am for sure. I, I know that just the, the degree to which New York has been affected, New York city has been affected. That's um, it, it's definitely big news here on the East coast. Mm-hmm. And do you, you find, has it been affecting uh, kind of daily, daily li- like obviously people aren't traveling anymore um, across borders and stuff, um, but do you get a sense that the fact that you're so close to America is affecting even uh, the things like politically um, on the smaller scale? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I'm not exactly sure to what degree, but I know, I know in many ways there, there, there's a lot of overlap. So, like for example, my brother, he's a border guard uh, between the Windsor Detroit border, and so his life is 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 directly affected by those politics and what it means to be able to cross or not cross a border, and how that affects my family. Uh, there are a lot of protests that are that are and have been happening in um in toronto outside of a lot of the part outside of a lot of city hall to reopen um the economy and i think a lot of that is very much influenced by the sentiments that donald trump has been sharing in his daily or weekly briefings where he's kind of encouraging all of these different governors to to reopen their states las vegas georgia florida and i think a lot of the people who are um even if they're 
in Canada still Trump supporters or or maybe a little bit more socially conservative. Um, I think a lot of them have been rallying in protests. Now, I don't know for sure, just because I'm just getting that from news stories. But um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, I, I think it's it's very difficult for, for it not to to seep over just through um again through protests through media through 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 social media all of it is pretty closely tied and where where do you place yourself on the spectrum as far as uh it doesn't have to be politically but as far as like um do you think that we're doing enough or we're or we're doing too much as far as all the social distancing would you like to see the economy pick up some restrictions eased or are you like let's everyone go into full lockdown mode or anywhere in um i'm undecided at this point i mean po- politically i'm 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 ultra progressive i believe in a of a progressive agenda socially progressive fiscally progressive i believe in the the i believe in uplifting and benefiting the community in terms of what's good for the whole is is paramount and so in that regard, um, I do believe that that lockdown and social distancing and all these things are important. And I do believe that it, it, it might not necessarily be a matter of life or death for me, but for the people who maybe it's my neighbor next door, um, I need to take those precautions just to make sure that I am doing what I can not to put people in danger. And so as of right now, that's very much my stance. I'm in full support. I'm in no rush to be able to get everything up and running again, especially if that's going to, to trigger what might be a, another spike or another wave. But at the, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm also, I'm, I'm also aware that that I'm also aware that that opinion and stance is being formed by um, a mainstream media agenda. And I also do choose in many ways, in, in ways that I can to question that. And so um, I'm, I'm confused. I think many people are that I'm speaking yeah. to. There's a part of me that thinks, you know, hearing about um, we don't have adequate levels of testing. And so because of that, all of the test, the tested numbers are underreported. And so when you connect and mm-hmm. correlate that to the death rate, um, that's where a lot of these, uh, the infection to death rate is giving somewhat of an, of an inaccurate, um, representation of how dangerous this, um, this virus is. And so there mm-hmm. is a part of me that wonders, okay, well, if we were testing accurately and did have accurate numbers, then I would be able to inf- have a much more accurately informed opinion. But, but because we don't have, um, those numbers, I am skeptical. You know, there is that side of me that just does want to say, well, how dangerous is this? And how honest has the reporting been? But I'd much rather err on the side of caution and be overly um, cautious for, for as long as we need to be until we know that not only has the curve been flattened, but um, you know, the, the daily reports of infection rates have gone down and I'm happy to do that. I feel like this is in many ways, like the old world is done and the new world has begun. And this is the first of 
this is the first time we're going to be doing this. It's definitely not the last time we're going to be doing it. And I feel like we're going to be doing this again much sooner than we think. And why is that? As someone who's, I guess, written about it and, and thought a lot about it, what is, what's this jump that we've made now? Because I agree, but it seems strange that, you know, all of a sudden, essentially overnight, mm -hmm. we've gone from this old world to this new world. And now we're all just taking it for granted, or not granted, but we're all assuming like this is the way it is. So what's the difference? What was the jump? Um, what was the jump? Like what, what was the jump in terms of the old ways done, the new ways begun? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, yeah. again, not to get too deep or hijack the conversation into conspiratorial space, but a, a lot of this right. does revolve around what would be considered a globalist agenda, the idea of being right. able to, to exercise levels of, of control over population, uh, whether it's through vaccination or whether it's through um, ID 2020. I'm not too sure how familiar you are with that. Um, it's uh, an initiative that is being put forth where essentially it's a digital wallet that people will be um, that that people will have that kind of shows their their medical history, their medical records and ideas around being able to travel and who can travel and who can't and um, certain political agendas that get pushed through in times of crisis. You know, you think about after 9-11 mm -hmm. and the Patriot Act trying right. to get pushed through. Um, and, you know, in these moments, this is what we look for is what what is happening politically behind the scenes right now? What are what is being approved um, without proper oversight? And so I, not to be overly dramatic when I say the old way is done and the new way is begun. I, I mean that this is in many ways going to be part of our at least we're being prepared for this to be part of our our new daily routine moving forward, where if there is, uh, you know, even just with the, um, even just with people like Anthony Fauci or, or some of the more mainstream medical experts talking about how there will be another wave in the fall and preparing for that and what that means. And so when the experts are saying, or the experts who we're leaning to at the moment are saying, be ready for another wave, then whether again, from a, from a conspiratorial space, they would call that predictive programming. Um, but mm -hmm. in many ways, it's just realizing that um, this is, this is the result of, of, of absolute brutal climate change. Like this is, this, this is what happens when, when the global temperature shifts, when certain viruses would die under certain temperatures, but when the global temperature rises, these are the things that, that begin to spread. And so just the lack of environmental balance and, and again, seeing it from all these different lenses, from an environmental perspective, from a political perspective, from an economic perspective, from a social perspective, um, I feel like it gets, a, we're really just covering the health perspective of it but we're not really paying attention to any of those other facets. And that's where for me, I start to, I start to question what is the agenda here and what, what do I need to be aware of that? Maybe I'm not necessarily that, that I'm being blind, uh, that I'm being blind to at the moment. Right. And um, I don't remember where I saw this, but I remember hearing a long time ago kind of when I was much younger hearing uh, in times of crisis, think about who's benefiting yes. the most 
And that's usually a pretty accurate answer for what's going 100%. on. 100%. Um, yeah. And, right. And it's, you know. And, and, that, and that's it. Again, we could go yeah. deep in. Yeah, we could go deep into what that means of course. or what the answer to that the, is. The but. idea that, um, you know, in times of war, war is a very profitable, war is and has historically been very profitable for certain people and groups of people in certain industries. And um, and so that that is a profitable crisis. And looking now, I mean, realizing that someone like Jeff Bezos and Amazon and, and, I, I, and again, I don't want to throw around all these numbers just because I don't know how accurate they all are, but I do know he's profiting wildly at the moment. Um, and, and there are a lot of people who are kind of in that circle who are also profiting. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe in, in, um, plutocrats. I don't believe that I, I personally feel like, um, the fact that somebody can have that much wealth is inhumane. I don't, uh, I think like in many ways, that's kind of the root of, of why we're in this position in the first place is an absolute imbalance of wealth and on a global scale and how that influences economic interests. And, um, and again, that's probably a much deeper conversation to get into, but these are the things that I think about. These are the things that I'm talking about. These are the things that I'm researching. Right. We, we, we've led you a little bit astray here because this, this, is, this is interesting to us. And this, this is where we go sometimes too with the like, what is yeah, really going I mean, on? I, so. Yeah, it's nice to have someone else to bounce. You guys are in Vancouver, of. right? And so I've also yeah. been following, there's, there's been pretty large protests going on there as well of, of people who uh, yeah. marches. And I, feel, I think they're kind of, the, the, the protests and demonstrations have been larger than in Ontario, I believe. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, how do, you, how do you guys feel about that? Like well, even just how it's being covered locally? I think it's like, we're a little bit, torn because we we know people that are working in the healthcare system so we get maybe different information than other other people get especially in the beginning when like I thought everyone was being tested and then we know someone who works like and it knows who's being tested and, and they basically said no no one who is not displaying mm-hmm. symptoms is being tested or even like if you don't have these four symptoms you're not being tested because right. there's not enough tests and obviously things have changed from then but that was my first awakening to like, oh, wow, what they're reporting isn't accurate. Like, mm-hmm. like really isn't sure. accurate for us here. So, sure. so I think that's even when we've, I think I had a few days of joy when I was like, yeah, we're flattening the curve in BC. We're like leading by example. And Yaniva's like, wait, are you forgetting? Like, we. <laughs> well, yeah, I was reading this today and I don't remember the, the first number. So don't quote me, but if somewhere in the 50s and 60s, like we're 50 or 60 percent uh less infections than the rest of canada but then the next sentence was but bc is uh doing like 27 percent mm. less testing right. than everybody yeah. else so it's like well then what's the point well yeah. exactly. that, that's meaningless yeah so it's it's i think like it is it yeah it's it's all pretty tough and even like but the protests i just i do disagree with on some level because people Mm -hmm. are getting sick here and people are dying and i mean being in our our 30s we have a lot of people that we love that are over 60 like you know one of our closest relatives is 70 
And so I do, you know, I, I think we have different stakes in this. I think if we were just younger and, and weren't worried about anyone around us dying, we would probably feel a bit different. But just, I think being in the age group that we are and the age group that our family's in, we just, I feel like we should stay home. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I just want to, I'm yeah. struggling, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I do it anyway. And it's really the thing that kind of gets me is everywhere that it catches, it really spreads like wildfire and uh, specifically thinking of like the poultry and uh, beef. Um, sure. The processing plants. Yeah, the processing plants, both in Alberta and now in uh, BC as well. You get like news of like a couple of cases pop up and then three days later there's like mm-hmm. 90 in the same area yeah. you know i mm-hmm. so uh, like... sorry not not to interrupt go ahead uh, i no, go uh, ahead. no you go. go just to kind of piggyback off of what we were talking about in terms of a lot of these protests that have been going on i think there are protests happening around the states uh, in michigan in detroit there were quite a few protests and uh and hearing about how these are now becoming the um, prime infection sites where when all these people congregate and they're reporting, mm-hmm. all of these people got the virus from meeting there together. And right. so yeah. hearing stories like that or, or about how in Florida, when you know they, they didn't social distance and they opened up all the beaches and everyone was there for spring break and, and now they're seeing what it looks like to see their, their numbers spike and, or same in Georgia where they're having these, um, they're, uh, they're protests, but they're congregating out of protests. So meeting at mega churches for holidays and whatnot, and then hearing about these pastors, mm-hmm. uh, these pastors who are, are in putting all of their faith in, in saying this, this virus is going to have to fight my, my belief in, in my religion and hearing about mm-hmm. them dying. And so I, I, I agree. Yeah, I think being sure. responsible and realizing we really know, we know so little about what's going on right now that the best thing we can do is just um, be a, isolating ourselves until we can have a bit more perspective because anything beyond that is putting everyone in danger and, and it's, and it's, it's ignorant, it's disrespectful and it's ignorant. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say that just like for the alternate perspective is like my views are coming from someone who hasn't lost, like I haven't lost my job if I'm working right. more than I was before. And we're safe in our home. We have food, we're, we have security. So I think it's easy for me to take that point of view. Like I, I haven't had to access CERB. I'm not running a business where I'm, I'm applying for a wage subsidy to keep my employees employed. So I get it. Not everybody's, it's easy for me to have these views, but I still think that people's lives those are, matter. Those are like, it, it's it's tough to say and insensitive in a way, but it, I feel like it's accurate to say that those are yes. personal concerns. And right. we're, we're not talking about the yes. persons. Like clearly for some people, it would be better for this not to be going mm-hmm. on. But as a whole. But as a whole, I think we see what happens when we ignore these ideas or, or suggestions. Mm-hmm. That the I agree. Is giving yeah, us. I agree whole, wholeheartedly. Yeah, And I think too, like, we'll see, this has changed my, my view a lot about vaccines even. So when our, our son was young, uh, when they're under two, the flu Mm -hmm. is more deadly. And so while he was under two, I was getting vaccinated, but I don't, I don't get the flu vaccine every year. I've never have, but when it was like kind of hit home that, oh, me getting the flu Mm -hmm. could kill someone that I know and love. 
I chose to do that, even though it's not something I would I would ever have done for myself. So I think this is the same situation. I have I really I'm struggling to stay home, but I continue to do it because I don't want to infect other people. Yeah, and I mean that hits close to home for me as well. I don't I traditionally don't get a flu shot, um, and but at the same time there are you know there are people who are close to me who have lost family members who who've died from from covid like they're they're it's mm -hmm. it is directly and has directly taken people um who i who i'm connected to and and they are older and they are um you know a little more at risk but it's still enough for for me to to really be cognizant about being responsible and not wanting you know you hear these stories I remember hearing a story early on and again I don't know how much weight there is uh, and a lot of these kind of might have just passed around as as fear-mongering but I do remember reading a story it was in Argentina about a, a teenage boy who snuck out to go to a party and this was kind of early earlier on before everything had really spiked and went to this party and came back and didn't realize that he was infected and passed it on to his grandfather and his grandfather died. And I could just imagine what, right. you know, that that's maybe a little more of a dramatic example, but I feel like on, on a more global scale, or at least on more, more of a community based scale, that's really what we're, we're considering here is you might, it might not be your grandfather, but it's still somebody's grandfather or grandmother or parent. And so mm -hmm. just being compassionate for the collective and understanding that we're making um, sacrifices in the short term for the benefit of our, of our collective long term. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess that's a good segue. Uh, speaking of compassion. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the cabin sure. fever social club. So that's something you started that I feel like is when I heard it, I just, uh, I thought it was such an awesome idea. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it yeah, came Yeah, I'd love to. Um, trying to think how it started. Well, I, based on my, my friends, my social group, um, there are a lot of birthdays in March between myself and my family and my friends. I think there's like six or seven of, of our birthdays are in March. And because everyone was on lockdown, the yeah. idea was, well, why don't we just get together and have a, a virtual um, dance party with each other where we can all sync up on, on Zoom and we can arrange a lot of my, a, a good number of my friends are DJs as well. And so a lot of our life naturally re revolves around dancing and music and connecting through and around music. And so we we ran somewhat of a, of a, of a test version of it, or we just did the, what felt like a one-off. And it was a really, it was a really beautiful experience, especially because it was the first time I think everyone had gone th three weeks or so without seeing anybody or, or having any contact. And, and it was enough to kind of spark that, that minor spike in serotonin to be like, whoa, we, we should make this a weekly thing and we should create enough of an open format that we can invite friends of friends and family and grandparents and kids and, um, and set it up at a time of day where people all over the world can join because our network is all over the world. They're in Asia, they're in Africa, they're in, in many different time zones. And so um, 
week to week, we just continue to spread the word. And every week we have a new DJ, musical curator, and it's expanded into a space of just an open format, celebratory virtual space. So a lot of people are there to dance and move. And that's it's, whether it's um, just to connect through movement with each other or some people treat it like exercise where they're, you know, moving and breaking a sweat. But a lot of other people are just cooking or painting or drawing or reading or crafting. Some people don't even turn their video on and they just listen to the music. Like it's just a safe, inclusive virtual space where for an hour, an hour and a half a week, um, consistently, there's a, a space where people can go and see some familiar faces or meet some new faces. Um, the one thing that I have that I can say is I have been ha just through work and conference calls and whatnot, um, or even just through life, I have been doing a lot of Zoom calls. And for me, I find it quite exhausting. You know, it, it really does mm, take yeah. a lot of energy <laughs> out of me. And, uh, and this is a really nice shift where everyone can be present together, but it isn't a vocal exchange. Nobody's speaking to each other. So everyone is more communicating, mm -hmm. you know, with their bodies or there's like um, uh, text message options within Zoom. So people are trading messages that way. But it's nice to be able to connect and see each other, but not necessarily have to be speaking over each other or just kind of glued to a screen trying to read facial gestures and whatnot. Um, so that has been really, yeah. um, just uplifting to be able to connect my, my, I have a quite a big family, my mom and her friends, and just been really interesting to see who has, who has gravitated towards it and who's warmed up to it and who maybe didn't feel as comfortable dancing. And it might've felt really strange and weird and now have fully embraced it. And, um, and so the plan is to continue it for as long as, as this lockdown continues. It's interesting because it sounds more like a collective state of being rather than this sort of like you have to show up and be engaged. It's like you can all just kind of be on the same level and share in an experience rather than having to fully engage in the way mm -hmm. everyone That's else That's exactly it. Engaged. I mean, you, it's, it's a drop-in virtual um, space where there it's open format and some people are there before it begins and stay to the end. And some people pop in halfway and leave after 15 minutes. Some come 10 minutes before, like it's, it really is just an open format space for whatever people need it for, whether it's just company while you're cooking or just to enjoy some new music that maybe you haven't heard. Um, but it's really fun just because it's a, lo a lot of um, my friends who have young kids. They are, it's, it's fun to see an intergenerational virtual dance party. And we, we encourage people to wear costumes mm -hmm. and just like really, you know, spice it up. And, and so there are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of costumes. I really enjoy like dressing up for it, kind of feeling like somewhat of a, yeah, just using it like a Halloween party every time just as an outlet to be able to, yeah. to be as wild as I'd like to be. Right. And I liked um, in, in kind of seeing your post about it, that, um, you know, you're not forcing anyone to turn on their cameras. If people are more, more introverted, less extroverted, and they do want to join and have that sense of community, whether they type chat or just watch for, for a while, it's not, 
you know, mm-hmm. they don't have yeah. to be on. And, and yeah, I, I, I understand that, um, not everybody knows each other and not everybody necessarily wants to be on display. Um, and that, and that shouldn't discourage anyone from being right. able to take part. So it's the same as if you're, you're in a room or at a party, not everybody necessarily needs to have the spotlight on them. And some people might be against the wall and some people might even just be outside, but it's just creating a welcome, inclusive space for people to be able to be themselves and connect and allow it to be whatever they need it to be. Yeah, it sort of reminds me, made me think of, as you were describing it, like kind of the old school raves that Michelle and I used to go to in our heyday, where like most of the people are dancing, but you can find Mm -hmm. a whole host of other activities going around on the outskirts. And, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it seems like a a really, I don't know, pleasant environment. Well, it's early days still. I think we've done maybe six of them and, um, and everyone is, 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 is and has been quite different depending on um, t- depending on the music and the DJ set, depending on the frequency and the volume of people who come. But it's I've been I've been pleasantly surprised that there every time there are new people who are joining and there always seems to be more people than expected. And um, and also really inspired to see there are some people who didn't turn their camera on for the first few and then started a little bit more um, Mm -hmm. forthcoming with their, their presence. And, and that's really inspiring to me to, Mm -hmm. you know, you to be able to create a space that people can feel comfortable in and, and allowing them to, to acclimate to it uh, on their own time and, and without any expectation or pressure at all whatsoever. So it's kind of a, I don't know, I guess it's a new frontier of what it means when you, when you, we don't have, when it's the only way we have to, to connect, um, really feeling, feeling what it means right. to, again, like this new way, this new way of connecting, this new way of finding some semblance of normalcy amongst our nearest and dearest. Right. Um, that, yeah, it's really awesome. And uh, I love the idea right away when I heard it, if, um, before we go, do you want to let people know how to get to you kind of your, your social handle? Yeah, for sure. Well, so zoom uh, again in the, in the advent of zoom taking hold, um, there've been a lot of like zoom bombers and hijacking of certain links. So every week we change the link. So it isn't just a, a steady, consistent link every week. I, I've, I kind of send out the new link mm-hmm. so you can reach me on Instagram, uh, my, at Ben Youngheart and just send me a DM and I can put you on the, on our mailing list. And then every week you'll get, um, a notification of what the link is and who's the guest DJ and, and whatnot. And then it's encouraged to share it as well. So if you get it and there's some people in your community who you want to invite or bring, uh, then you can do that as well. Right. And just so people know, Ben Youngheart, all one H-A-R-T. word. H-A-R-T. Yes, that's, that's H-A-R-T uh, important to point out. Ben Youngheart, right. H-A-R-T at, uh, at um, Instagram, or you can email me, Ben Youngheart, H-A-R-T at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, super interesting. And I know it's definitely late past, for you, far past right my bedtime. Now, but but um, this was a, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so we appreciate the the late night call. Yeah. I think we could have just a podcast <laughs> dedicated to conspiracy theories. We have a few a few sure. people we like to talk to about these things, and that was definitely very very up our alley. <laughs> yeah, and so we'd love to have you again sometime. And in the meantime, best of luck with the dance party. And um, yeah, yeah, we hope it continues care. to grow for you. Thank and, you. And, uh, Thank you so much. This has been a, a real pleasure. Okay, take care. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ben. Bye. -bye.